Let's pray and dive right in. Father, I just thank you for your goodness and all this taking place already. So many different aspects of church have manifested here this morning. And we thank you that we can honor you and praise you and celebrate testimony. And now as we are so incredibly privileged to open your word and to hear from you, Father, may you deliver a word from heaven to every single heart in this place and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, several years ago, uh, my aunt, uh, she was working with me at a church, and she got tickets to a Christmas musical. Now, I'm not a musical guy. Uh, I don't know if you could tell or not, and I'm sure there's many of us here who love musicals. I don't. I just don't see it as a reality where you're doing something normal in life, and all of a sudden, everybody's choreographed, and, you know, they have a song that's spontaneous. That's not real. But anyways, uh, she got me to go because they were serving a professionally catered meal. I said, you had me at food. So I went with her. She needed somebody to go with her, and I went with her. And we're sitting at these beautiful uh, tables and wonderful food, and the musical starts, and it's a play, and there's song, and there's dancing. Well, at one point, they start going around to the tables and grabbing people to bring up and dance with. I said, you better not pick me. You better not. Sure enough, they pick me, and I don't like dancing. I don't like dancing, not that I'm against it or anything. I just think it's exercise, and I'm not a fan of exercise, so, you know, it's not my thing. I've even said before, I can't dance, you know, it's against my religion. It has an excuse not to dance. But they grabbed me, like forcefully grabbed me and bring me up to dance with them. And, of course, I'm front and center at the stage. And they have you do that one awkward dance, you know, like, I'm doing this up there, just like, God, let this be over with. And so I sit down, finally, I get to sit back down, and my aunt is dying laughing. I mean, can't speak. She is laughing so hard, tears. I'm like, okay, it wasn't that funny. I'm not embarrassed. And she's like, no, your fly was down the whole time. So, so I'm... Not enjoying myself as it is, but meanwhile, my pants are talking to the entire audience. (laughs) And see, something like that would absolutely devastate some people. That could be really traumatic for some people. I'm grateful that I grew up in a household that was very self-confident, and, you know, I always loved people. I was never afraid to speak in public, and by fifth grade, I was in several uh, talent shows and so forth. So it wasn't something that embarrassed me or marked me. I've always had this confidence. I'm uh, thank, thankful for my parents who raised me to have confidence and so forth. But when I became a Christian, I realized that you shouldn't be a person who doesn't care about what other people think about you. I discovered that there's more to it. It's not just, you know, I won't be embarrassed and, you know, sticks and stones and that type of theology where, you know, whatever you say is not going to hurt me because I know who I am. But when I became a Christian, I discovered that there's more to this fear of man. There, there's more to just not caring about the opinions of others. It's actually, am I craving approval? Am I living in some type of fear? And this morning, I want to talk just on just a single topic of the fear of man. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says that the fear of man will be a snare, but that those who trust in the Lord, they will be protected. Now, the definition of the fear of man is very simple. It's where you have more of a concern of what other people think about you than you do of what God thinks about you. And that's something that can actually paralyze you in the faith. 
It's something that can cripple you, a fear of man. It's because you allow the expectations of others to dictate your decisions in life. You know, whether that's you were uh, in a family business and growing up, you were always told you would be in that family business and because of the expectations of others and the fear of letting somebody down, you don't chase your dreams, you go after the family business. Or you care too much about what your parents think of you and your approval or whatever else that causes you to have this fear of rejection, this, this fear that I need approval, otherwise I don't feel great about myself. We care too much about what other people think about us and we dread humiliation. We are terrified to mess up and to do any type of failure because it's a reflection on who we are. And unfortunately, we are in a culture that is addicted to approval, all right? Just think about social media, right? I mean, if let's say the average likes you get is 30 likes on a Facebook post or an Instagram picture, and one day you get 300, oh, it's not about likes, but boy, does that change your mood. Boy, wow, people really like me. That must have been clever on that one. Or, wow, I don't know what I did with my hair that day, but I got a lot of likes. It does something because naturally in the flesh, we crave approval. And sometimes we'll go to drastic measures to try to fit in or to gain approval of other people. As an example, my sister, who's exactly one year older than me, always been in the grade above me, she was always transforming herself to fit in. In freshman year, she decided to be with back in those days was called the ravers, those who liked concerts and raves, and they dressed in bright, colorful stuff. They had beads everywhere, and they were all about, you know, drugs and raves and dances and all that type of stuff. But then the next year, she decided to be emo, which is you dress all in black, you got the black lipstick, you're always somber and sad about everything. Then the following year, she decided to hang out with the local street gangs, and she completely transformed herself to look tough and rugged like she was from the streets. I say, you're just my sister. You need to stop this. You know, and praise God, she got past that. But it shows you the depth of how much we want people's approval. And we want to belong. You know, coming from Southern California and the street gangs, they don't want crime. They want a family. And that's the closest thing that they have to a family and to fitting in. And they'll go through drastic measures to keep that family strong. Well, every single one of us, every Christian, every person has been affected by the fear of man in some way and some form. And the devil has been defeated. And all he can do, the only tool that he has is distraction. And let me tell you, the biggest tool that he has in his belt is fear. If fear was a business, it'd be worth billions and billions. And today, I want to encourage us that we can put the, the fear, the business of fear, completely out of business. So if you have your Bibles, I want to share an amazing story, an account from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Esta mañana vamos a leer la palabra de Dios en el libro 1 Samuel capítulo 15, versículos 20 hasta 24. I've been doing my Spanish lessons, everybody. <laughs> I do two Spanish lessons every single day, and my prayer is that by next summer we will plant a Spanish church at Southgate. And I believe, and it's my my declaration that we will have that be the first of many churches that we plant that will be birthed out of this church. And I'm saying all that just to encourage you, but also to stall as you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to read a few verses here, starting at verse 20. And this is Saul, King Saul, who started off really well. He was God's anointed. He started off very well. 
But he had a fear of man, and it allowed him to be completely rejected by God under that old covenant. And the old covenant, God led the, his people to the promised land. And remember, this is before Jesus. So at this time, it was God's people against unholiness. And unholiness could also be God's uh, people who rejected God's covenant. And so when God would tell them to go into a land and completely destroy them, God doesn't have the intent of killing but God has the intent of removing sin completely. And so in the Old Testament, that was in warfare and other things, but in the New Testament, it's in the spirit. And so at this time, Saul was commanded to completely wipe everything out, but instead of wiping everything out, he killed everybody, but he took all of their plunder. He took all of their stuff that was idolatrous that he shouldn't have taken. So verse 20, then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, I'm just going to pause there and say we're going we're gonna to heat up some fat of rams today after church as we eat. Verse 23, for the rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination as the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned and indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. So he had this fear of man. And let me just say that the fruit of the fear of man, the spirit of the fear of man in our hearts, the fruit of that is always death in some form. It's death of a relationship, death of a marriage, death of the dream, death of a position, and so for Saul, he feared the people more than he feared God, and he was removed and rejected because of that. We need to guard ourselves from the fear of man, not just so that we can have better lives, but it can be the one and the biggest stumbling block to what God wants to do through your life. I mean, he may use you to bring thousands to the Lord. He may use you to plant a church. He may want to see you lead people to miracles. But if we live with the fear of man, we are prevented and hindered and stopped from allowing God to flow in and through us. And so I have some encouragement for us and really some instruction on how we can rid ourselves from the fear of man. If you're taking notes, number one, we need to be honest and repent. Honest and repent. And let me just say, I'm so grateful that this was my first point and I had no idea the, the stirring and, and the testimony of repentance that would happen this morning in our sharing time. I'm so grateful for his confirmation, but be honest and repent. Repentance doesn't just happen upon salvation. You don't just repent one time. And we know that repentance is really a turning back to God. You were walking away from him, chasing your own ideas, doing your own thing, and you were convicted and said, this isn't who I am. I shouldn't be doing this. And repentance means a 180 turn in your mind and your heart back to God, and you go back to him and have honesty and in relationship. We have to be open. We have to be honest with God. I heard this story of a mother who was tucking her young son into bed, and this aggressive, 
thunderstorm was outside. And the little boy looks at his mom and says, Mom, will, will you stay with me tonight? And she looks at him and says, Oh, honey, I'm sorry, I can't. I need to be in daddy's room tonight. There's a long, awkward pause. And finally, in a little shaky voice, he says, that big sissy. <laughs> and he went to bed. The little boy was honest. He didn't have pride. He said, this is scaring me. I want you. I want this relationship. I want you to be here to help and protect me. And, and how can we expect God to remove the fear of man or to work in our lives if we're not open with him? if we're not honest with him and desire to turn away from things that are hindering our relationship with him so that he can do the work in us. God won't force victory upon your life. But if you come to him and in his name and by faith, you ask anything, he will do it because he's a God who loves us and he's a God of, of impossibility. Lamentations 3, 4, it says, 40, I'm sorry about that. And all these references are in your bulletin, so I'm going to rattle off some verses here, and don't worry, they're already in your bulletin. But Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine and probe our hearts, and let us turn back to God. And I didn't want to paraphrase this, so I'm going to read it to us. But in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in an everlasting way. So it should be our heart's desire. Father, I want nothing that will separate this relationship. I want nothing that will pull from this dynamic relationship of father to son and father to daughter. So examine me. Look within me. Bring to my mind if there's something in my life that is causing me to be distant from you. We see in Romans 2.4, which I just absolutely love. Romans 2.4. Do we not know that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance? I pray that guilt and shame does not lead you to the heart of God. I pray that when you discover, even in my failures, God, you've been there. Even when I mess up royally, you are there. Even when I didn't deserve it, God, you still showed up and blessed me. And because of that, you're like, why would I want anything else? God, you're so good. God, you're so gracious. God, you are just there for me. And that, his kindness, is what leads us to repentance. Repentance is not begging for forgiveness. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for everyone. There are people who are not yet born who already have their sins forgiven because of the cross, because of the resurrection of Jesus. So we don't go to God begging for forgiveness. We go to God asking for repentance and the help that we need to, in right relationship, turn back to him. Let me tell you that freedom from the fear of man begins with honesty and a right relationship with God, where he is your top and highest priority. So we got to be honest and we got to repent. You know, many of us want to believe that there's no ounce of fear of man in our hearts, but we got to be real with ourselves. Are we sinning? Are we off a little bit? Are we angry? Are we frustrated? Because we're caring too much about others and not caring about the heart of God. The second thing is that we need to find the root Find the root of why we let the fear of man in our hearts. Find the root. I was speaking with a Christian counselor, and she was sharing with me stories of a time when she worked at a drug rehabilitation center for teenagers. And she says, I can't tell you how many times I sat a teenager down who was battling whatever addiction, and I would tell them, you're not addicted to the drug. You're addicted to the escapism. 
You're addicted from running away from your pain. You're addicted from a method that will help numb what you've been going through. And see, we're not, we're not addicted to approval. We're addicted to a, a freedom that can only be found in God. We're addicted to a release. We're addicted to a high that will cause us not to focus on whatever's hurting us at the moment. But freedom comes not by focusing on the problem, but on finding the root, which then leads to the antidote. So if you want to rid your life of whatever issue and circumstance or lack or problem, don't go all over the problem and examine the problem every which way and from every angle that you can. No, say, there's a problem. It came from somewhere. Jesus, where did that come from? And you'll see, well, you know, three weeks ago, you had this door that kind of slightly opened up. Uh, three weeks ago, you had this thing that you, you had a fear that you continued to massage and marinate in your mind. And you open your door and you're like, whoa, well, God, I need help from that fear. Now, my wife and I, we were having a conversation in the car the other day, and we were talking about dreams because I'm a big dreamer. You know, I'm the, in 10 years, can you imagine if God does this? She's like, yeah, um, but the trash is overflowing, so can we... Think about today <laughs> instead of 10 years from now. I'm a big dreamer, and she's not. And we were driving, and, and, and I haven't said it before she could say it, but she was an excellent student in high school. I mean, above 4.0, AP, IP, honors classes, all that kind of stuff. And she had dreams to play uh, volleyball in college, at a D1 college. But towards the end of her high school career, her parents informed her that they couldn't take her to a university, that she was going to go to the local community college. Her dreams were shattered. She had worked so hard to go to a university when she could have just gotten C's all her high school career and not stayed up till three in the morning to finish a project and just go to a community college. And because of that, it caused a fear in her heart to not dream. Because if she doesn't dream, therefore she won't get disappointed. And see, we open our hearts sometimes, and it, it causes this root that, that allows us to, to let this fear of man in, and we got to remove ourselves from that. And, and see, we, we got to get to a place where we can talk to God honestly and say, Father, this is the reason this happened. You revealed it to me. And I ask that you would give me the strength and the wisdom and the know-how and the tools to overcome this. See, why do we try to battle and do battle alone? Why don't we go to God and, and, and use this amazing tool called prayer to have a conversation with him so that he can bring a revelation that leads us to the antidote, which is completely in the love of God. See, forgiveness is free. Forgiveness is free, but maturity is expensive. Maturity is expensive. That's you taking the time to put effort into having a conversation with God so he can reveal these things. Now, I know I'm not the only one in the church today that has spent and has hundreds of dollars invested in exercise equipment that never got used. <laughs> Unless, you know, it's Pastor Wally because he's always using his bike. I can't tell you how many times I call Pastor Wally and he's out of breath because he just got off of his bike. But for the rest of us, we have those treadmills. We have those exercise bikes. We have those medicine balls. Remember the thigh master? Weird stuff, man. Weird stuff that we spend our money on. But we put all this money and dream about how this can put us in better shape and make us feel better about ourselves. And we spend hundreds of dollars and it doesn't get used. We can't afford to do that in the spirit. We can't afford to not use the tool of prayer and int intimacy with God to lead us to a, play, a place of victory and breakthrough. 1 John 4, 18, we all know it. Perfect love casts out fear. But some of us are so afraid of love because we've been hurt before. 
Some of us are so afraid of intimacy because we don't want to be seen. Into me, you see intimacy. We're afraid of it. And I just want to encourage you, press into this so that you can find the root of what's causing all of this lack in your life so that God can bring the freedom. We need to repent, find the root, and then finally, we need to let our souls be reassured. Our soul to be reassured. This is the proactive part. Now, the definition of reassurance is to restore confidence. Ooh, I love that so much. Like Paul said, I am convinced. I am convinced that it restores a confidence, and we need to have a confidence in our identity. You know, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister, and I don't care what people think about me or how people may slander me or poke, you know, of my sermon and say, you're theo- theologically off and all that. That's fine. Get that all the time. Wonderful. But if you accuse me of something that I'm innocent in, I get upset. I get a, a holy discontent in my heart. And the reason is that I don't care your opinion of me, but I do care about my reputation because I never want something that's false to hurt a relationship in my church or to prevent the gospel from going out. So if you accuse me of something and I'm completely innocent of it, I will defend it aggressively. Search my home, search my phone, search anything that you want. Here's my computer, here's whatever else, find it. You know, oh, who said that? Bring them in. I will defend it. And we need to have that same aggression for our identity. How can we live without the fear of man if we can't aggressively defend our identity? We're going to have doubts and fears and lies constantly overwhelm you every single day because the enemy, that's all he has, is a mouth. And if we don't know how to jealously guard the love of God and aggressively defend our identity, how do we expect to live off of the fear of man? You can't find freedom of the fear of man unless you aggressively defend your identity in Christ and our freedom rests on Jesus and our fellowship within the body to help us grow. Now, let me encourage us that in our pursuit of maturity and our faith and in our pursuit of growing in the faith that we do need each other. This isn't you hiding in a closet and just you and God duking it out to find freedom. There's a reason why the scriptures say don't neglect the fellowship of the believers. Don't neglect the gathering because we need each other, but we need real fellowship. Real fellowship is not where you get together and share horror stories and try to see who has it worse and give sympathy. The world can do that. You don't need Jesus for that. That's not real fellowship. Real fellowship is iron sharpening iron. And for that sense, there is a difference between approval, which is the fear of man, and affirmation, which is amongst the believers. There's a big difference. You see, affirmation, it means that you are being emotionally supported and encouraged. That is the definition of affirmation, that you are being emotionally supported and that you're being encouraged. It spurs you up. It says, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. You are loved. You are a child of God. You have authority. I know it's bad right now, but it won't be like this forever. That's affirmation. That's encouragement. And ooh, we love that. There's nothing wrong with affirmation. Let me tell you, when Nikki gives me affirmation, ooh, I thank her out loud. I say, ooh, baby, thank you for all that affirmation. That feels so good, you know? If I do a project at the house or, or she asks me to build her something or, you know, she's like, oh, the car's looking really gross. Can you really just detail it? Sure. And then I say, babe, I'm all done. Come here, come here. Look, look. And I just, I just like to see her respond. Or y- y'all know that I love to cook. I love to play. I mean, I have my own Instagram called Rudy the Foodie. I love food. I, I, but the reason I love food so much other than the food, but that it brings people together 
But I love when I bring a plate that I've worked hard for my family and I put it down and I see their face. I'm like, yeah, I bless them. You know, there's nothing wrong with affirmation if it's godly and it points you closer to Jesus. But there's something wrong when we need approval. Because see, approval, you need approval to say, am I good enough? But affirmation says you are good enough and here's why. It's an encouragement. It spurs you and draws you closer to the love of God. And we need each other. We're on this side of eternity. Life is difficult. We get bombarded. Sometimes we're not strong enough in that season. We need each other. But more than anything, we need our hearts to be awakened to how much God loves us and who we really are in him and that he will be our protector, that the fear of man is a snare. But those who trust in the Lord are protected. Let me close with this and then we'll enjoy our meal. When I was a little kid in Southern California, uh, you may have seen in the news, the Northridge earthquake. It was a 6.7 earthquake. Uh, freeway overpasses collapsed. Buildings exploded because of gas leaks and multiple people died. And I remember when the earthquake happened, it was probably, I don't know, three, five o'clock in the morning. And I'm a little kid, you know, I'm probably four or five years old. And, and I just wake up to this thunderous sound of the whole house shaking. And I don't know what's going on. Things are falling off the wall and, and you can hear the panic in the room. But all I remember is my dad rushing in, picking me up, and we went out. Now, if you remember from the news stories, there were aftershocks that were just as bad as the original earthquake. In fact, uh, one of my aunts from Mexico was staying with us and she said, if there's another aftershock and I'm in that shower, y'all better turn your heads because I'm running out. <laughs> and it actually happened. <laughs> there was an aftershock. She, said, ah! she ran out. You know, but because, because aftershocks were happening even the day after, I couldn't sleep. As a little kid, I see the news stories and fires and explosions and people dying, and I, I'm overwhelmed with this fear of it could happen to me. And I wasn't sleeping. And my mom would, you know, come to the door, and she's like, are you sleeping yet, honey? I'm like, no. All throughout the night. Finally, my dad, you know, six-foot-tall, big, burly Mexican man with his gruffy voice, he comes to the door like, what you afraid of? What you afraid of? I said, the earthquake. Then he sat down on my bed and he said, what happened? He drilled me. He said, what happened? An earthquake? What happened next? You came in. He goes, that's right. And I will die before I let anything bad happen to you. I went right to bed because I was convinced that my father would put his life in order to save mine. How much more do we need to be convinced of this father in heaven that loves us more than we will ever know and has given us authority, has given us victory, has given us breakthrough, has given us the tools to press into his heart. And how dare we allow something so simple as a distraction of the fear of man that would limit our relationship and prevent us from being all that we can be in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And thank you that we have a hope in you that is steadfast. We thank you that we're on the winning side. We thank you that we have strength and power and hope in your name. We thank you, God, for all this taking place today, and thank you for the seeds that were sown in the Spirit here today. We ask, Holy Spirit, you will continue to water and bring to fruition the confessions and repentance in this room, the testimony, the celebrations, the prayer, the victories, the graduations, all that we celebrated here today. God, would you continue to spur in our hearts a growing love for you and a growing desire to be more intimate with you. And now, God, we have a full day of celebrating and eating and fellowshipping. And thank you so much for every single person who has worked hard to make this afternoon wonderful. Thank you so much for everybody who brought something to eat 
And now we ask blessing on our, our meal. We ask blessing upon our time as we just learn about each other more and share some memories and have some laughs and just enjoy our afternoon. Go before us now. We love you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, when it's, uh, you have the freedom, go ahead and head on over to the fellowship hall, and we will enjoy a great afternoon.